1503, when Leonardo da Vinci brushed the first few strokes of oil paint onto the piece of poplar wood that would become the Mona Lisa. I wonder if he ever could have guessed two things. The first being he would never finish it. The second, that it would one day become one of the most famous, if not the most famous painting of all time, worth roughly a billion dollars today. That billion-dollar estimate is contended because some believe the Mona Lisa has no price, that it is beyond any monetary value, truly priceless. But why is it so famous? It's gorgeous, yes, mysterious, it was ahead of its time. It was the first Italian painting to focus so closely on its subject in a half-length portrait. It had a huge impact on painters in the early 16th century, And then there's that famous smile, that restrained, evocative, unusual smile that has been drawing eyes for over 500 years. According to the Louvre, where this captivating piece of art now resides, its spatial coherence, atmospheric illusionism, and equilibrium of this work were, in Leo's day, new. That's a fancy way of just saying it was really, really good. But why is the Mona Lisa arguably the world's most recognizable painting? Well, because in 1911, when it was already a well-regarded masterpiece within the Renaissance art world, something happened that turned it into a worldwide sensation. Someone stole it. Stole it right out of the Louvre, where it had been minding its own business since 1804. Its theft baffled the police. Many were questioned and suspected, including Pablo Picasso. And the real thief, a man from Dumenza, Italy, named Vincenzo Perugia, got away. Not forever, obviously, but long enough for some to believe that da Vinci's masterpiece had been lost. That we had seen the last of that smile made of oil on poplar wood, never finished by one of the world's favorite geniuses. Let's find out how he pulled it off, and how she found her way back to the Louvre. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. She has one of the world's most recognizable faces. But who is the Mona Lisa? Debate has been ongoing for centuries. Some claim it's the portrait of da Vinci's mother, Caterina, or of Princess Isabella of Naples. Others have suggested it's Leonardo himself, a self-portrait. It's not a short list of ideas. In 1550, 31 years after da Vinci's death, Renaissance biographer Giorgio Vasari wrote, quote, Leonardo undertook to paint for Francesco del Giocondo the portrait of Mona Lisa, his wife, unquote. Her name was Lisa Garadini. She was the wife of a wealthy silk merchant. She lived in Florence in 1503 when da Vinci started the portrait, and it's likely that she is the woman in da Vinci's painting. The painting's original Italian name La Gioconda supports this theory. Leonardo was also a friend of the family. By the way, I do apologize for my horrendous accent as I try to pronounce all the Italian names I'm going to try and pronounce. 
I looked up how to pronounce all of them, and I'm trying my darndest to do them justice, so bear with me. According to the Louvre, the portrait was commissioned to mark one of two things, either when Francesco and Lisa bought their own house in 1503, or when their second son, Andrea, was born in 1502, after the death of their daughter in 1499. The dark veil, gently covering the Mona Lisa's hair, is considered by some to be a mourning veil. But without a verified surviving portrait of Lisa Gherardini to compare with the Mona Lisa, we won't be able to confirm 100% that she is the woman in the portrait. There was a push for several years to settle the debate by disinterring the remains of Lisa Gherardini and using her remains to create a facial reconstruction. However, all attempts on that have proven inconclusive, so the mystery lives on. But it's probably Lisa Gherardini. If Francesco del Giocondo did commission the painting for his wife, he never received the finished product. The Mona Lisa was in da Vinci's studio until the day he died. Da Vinci's final days were spent in France at a chateau near King Francis I's summer palace on the shore of the Loire River in Amboise. He died at age 67, probably from a stroke. According to the Louvre, in 1518, a year before the artist died, Francis I bought the Mona Lisa from da Vinci and added it to his royal collection. Others say da Vinci gave it to him as a gift, and others still say it made its way into the king's collection after the artist died. Either way, it was displayed in the king's semi-public gallery at his favorite chateau in Fontainebleau. She remained secluded in French palaces for centuries until insurgents claimed the royal collection as the property of the people during the French Revolution. After that, she was hung in Napoleon Bonaparte's bedroom for a time. In 1804, she was installed into the Louvre, and that's been her home sweet home ever since. Except for that one time she was stolen. That little history hiccup was due to a man named Vincenzo Perugia. Not much is out there about his early life. He was born October 8, 1881, in Dumenza, a locality in northern Italy, near Lake Como. According to PBS, he moved to Paris in 1910 at the age of 27. He worked at the Louvre, at least for a time, as a handyman or carpenter. At the time, Louvre officials were concerned about vandalism. Apparently, some of the artwork had been attacked in the past by crazed patrons. This would continue into the future and up to the present day as people throughout history vandalized some of the world's greatest works of art with things like razor blades and acid. In 2009, a woman threw a ceramic coffee mug at the Mona Lisa. It hit the bulletproof glass protecting the painting and shattered. The painting was not damaged and the woman was apprehended. Security at the museum has always been an issue. According to PBS, in Vincenzo's day, some of the Louvre's more famous paintings were selected to be put behind glass in an attempt to protect them from vandalism. Vincenzo was one of the workers hired to cut and clean that glass. He would later claim at his trial that the painting bewitched him. He was not the first to describe the alluring character of da Vinci's masterpiece. In 1837, before Vincenzo was ever born, British critic writer Walter Pater wrote of the Mona Lisa, quote, She is older than the rocks among which she sits. Like the vampire, she has been dead many times and learned the secrets of the grave, unquote. 
Perhaps Vincenzo knew from the moment he saw her that he would steal her. Perhaps it took a while for the idea to seep into his mind. We don't know. But we do know that on August 21st, 1911, he pulled off what some have dubbed the greatest art heist of the 20th century. Let's find out how he did it. I want to take a quick moment to plug the ever-awesome Intelligent Speech Conference, which is back for 2021. Intelligent Speech is an online conference dedicated to connecting the best independent educational content creators with their listeners, and I'm excited to be a presenter this year. This year's theme is Escape, so I'll be presenting on the greatest escape of all time, in my opinion, Shackleton's Imperial Transantarctic Expedition. This year's conference takes place on April 24th, 10 a.m. Eastern or 3 p.m. London time. I'll be appearing alongside around 40 great content creators. There will be 24 hours of content in four simultaneous streams. You can interact with your favorite show hosts and fellow fans in an immersive conference experience. Tickets are 30 bucks, but my listeners get an additional 10% off tickets. All you have to do is use the promo code CASH. That's CASH spelled C-A-C-H-E. Tickets are available online at www.intelligentspeechconference.com shop. Okay, back to the show. There are a couple different versions of how Vincenzo Perugia stole the Mona Lisa, and I'll get into why in a bit. But for now, we're going to go with what he confessed at his interrogation. Vincenzo had worked at the Louvre before, and he knew his way around, knew the schedule of the museum. He chose to schedule his theft for a Monday, because the museum was closed for cleaning. Today, it's closed on Tuesdays, so if you're planning a visit, check out the catacombs on Tuesday instead, if you like looking at old spooky bones. There is a story out there that Vincenzo hid in a closet overnight and pulled off the heist the next morning. That is because a later news story published in 1932 in the Evening Post by journalist Carl Decker said that's what happened. It was also a police theory at the time, and there are many sources that still perpetuate that version of events. But what Vincenzo actually did was deceptively simple compared to the complex theories offered by law enforcement. Vincenzo, according to his own version of events, simply put on a workman's smock and sauntered in with the other workers at 7am. The security at the time was not tight, and Vincenzo already knew his way around, so he simply walked in with confidence, as if he were supposed to be there, so everyone else assumed he was. There's another theory out there that Vincenzo had two accomplices. This seems to be for two reasons. One, Vincenzo didn't perform well at his trial later and tried changing his original story to implicate two of his friends. There was zero evidence to corroborate that claim. Also, that same article by Decker claimed that the Mona Lisa weighed 220 pounds, roughly 100 kilos. And if that were true, you would definitely need more than one person to pull off a slick heist while carrying something that heavy. In actuality, the Mona Lisa weighs a mere 18 pounds, a little over 8 kilos. So Vincenzo was quite capable of lifting it on his own. 
He waited until the other workers cleared the area, then he pulled down the Mona Lisa and took it to a nearby staircase where he removed the frame. He knew he couldn't simply walk out into the street with it. Although it wasn't as famous then as it is today, it was still a well-known painting. So he removed his smock and wrapped up da Vinci's masterpiece inside of it. Some sources say that Vincenzo stuffed the Mona Lisa under his jacket and walked out of the museum that way. But Vincenzo was only 5 feet 3 inches tall. The Mona Lisa is 21 by 30 inches. The painting would have been too large for him to simply stuff it underneath his jacket. He tried exiting through a different door than the one he had entered through. He even removed the doorknob of an interior door he thought led outside. In the end, he simply walked out of the same door he had used to enter the museum that morning. One witness saw Vincenzo carrying what he described as a wrapped package under his arm and watched as he threw something into a ditch next to the Louvre. That something was the doorknob Vincenzo had removed not long before. The witness had been across the street, so he couldn't offer a good description of Vincenzo for the police. It took over 24 hours for anyone to notice the Mona Lisa was gone. That might seem ridiculous, but according to NPR, there was a project underway at the Louvre to photograph its many works. Each piece had to be taken to the rooftop to be photographed because cameras in that day didn't work as well inside. It was a still-life artist who first brought the empty spot where the Mona Lisa had hung to attention. He had gone to the museum to paint the gallery and complained when she was missing because he said he couldn't work as long as the Mona Lisa wasn't there. After he persuaded a guard to ask the photographers how long they would be holding the painting, it was finally discovered that no one knew where she was. A security guard found the discarded frame in the stairwell. The museum director, Théophile Homol, was on vacation when the theft occurred, so curator Georges Benedit was in charge. He thought the theft was impossible. He thought it had to be a joke or a prank. He believed the painting was still inside the museum. According to PBS, when the museum director Hamul was told the painting was missing, he laughed at the idea of it having been stolen, saying, quote, You might as well pretend that one could steal the towers of Notre Dame. But soon it became painfully and alarmingly obvious that the Mona Lisa truly had been stolen. Theories ranged from local criminals to international art theft conspiracies. In September, Homol was forced to resign as museum director. Many people were questioned, even Pablo Picasso was a suspect. The theory was that a great painter would certainly want a great painting. Of course, Picasso had nothing to do with the theft, but according to The Guardian, he did quickly try to dispose of some statues he had acquired that had definitely been stolen from the Louvre. Vincenzo quickly and quietly made his way back to his Parisian apartment, with probably the greatest stolen artwork of all time. So, what did he do next? Well, nothing. For over two years. After all, the theft was a huge sensation. Any attempt to move it, show it, brag about it, or sell it could have resulted in apprehension. Before the theft, the Mona Lisa had been sort of famous. But now, she was Oprah famous. Vincenzo obviously couldn't display the painting in his apartment, but according to The Guardian, he did put a postcard of her on his mantle, a daily reminder of the masterpiece he had hidden inside a false-bottom trunk. 
Vincenzo said he had built that trunk himself in the winter of 1911. So for the first few months, the Mona Lisa was either hidden on a table in his room and covered by a cloth, or inside of his closet. He turned the painting to face the wall, so it merely looked like a simple piece of old poplar wood. Nothing too strange for a carpenter to have in his apartment. Vincenzo was questioned in November of 1911, before he had made the trunk. So when the inspector came to his Parisian apartment, they were within feet of the missing masterpiece and never knew it. If the inspector had moved that bit of cloth on the table or turned that piece of wood in the closet around, the investigation would have been over. Vincenzo didn't keep the theft entirely to himself. According to the award-winning documentary about the theft and Vincenzo's life called Mona Lisa is Missing, written and directed by Joe Medeiros, Vincenzo claimed that he gave the painting to his friend Vincenzo Lancelotti to hold for six weeks. He denied involvement, though he and his brother Michel were arrested later, but released without charges. These two are often cited as Vincenzo's accomplices, however, they were never charged for anything, and both of them denied having any involvement in the theft. Paris mourned the loss of its treasured masterpiece in several ways. Many cartoons, a lot of them humorous, were circulated. In the spring of 1912, the Mona Lisa was honored in a float in a mid-Lent parade in Paris. The float showed her taking off in an airplane for destinations unknown. After two years, Vincenzo decided it was time for him to do something with the Mona Lisa besides let it collect dust in his false bottom trunk in Paris. So he took it back to Italy, to Florence, where da Vinci had first begun the painting. There are several theories as to why Vincenzo stole the Mona Lisa. One is financial gain, and we do have evidence that Vincenzo tried making money from selling the Mona Lisa, which I'll get to in just a minute. Another theory is patriotism. This is the reason Vincenzo gave for the theft at his trial. He said he wanted to take the Mona Lisa back home to Italy. According to author Seymour Raitt, quote, Perugia was an Italian workman, a carpenter. He lived hand to mouth. He hated France. He pined for Italy. He loved the painting. He thought all the paintings, the Italian masterpieces in the Louvre, had been stolen by Napoleon and brought to France, which upset him terribly." Unquote. It is true that Napoleon looted a lot of artwork from Italy during his occupation there, but the Mona Lisa was not one of them. The Mona Lisa had belonged to France since King Francis I received it from Leonardo himself. It's possible Vincenzo didn't know this, and he did return to Italy with the painting. When Celestina Perugia, the daughter of Vincenzo, was interviewed for the documentary Mona Lisa is Missing, she told interviewers that when her father was working at the Louvre, they all called him Macaroni because he was Italian. They taunted him all the time by refusing to use his actual name. She said she was told that one day he had finally had enough of being called Macaroni and said, I'll show them who's the Macaroni here. She says that his motive for stealing the Mona Lisa was revenge. Back in Florence, according to PBS, antique dealer Alfredo Gary placed an advertisement in several Italian newspapers stating that he was, quote, a buyer of art objects of every sort. Vincenzo sent Gary a letter in response to the ad saying he had the Mona Lisa in his possession and wanted to restore the painting to Italy. He signed the letter Leonardo Vincenzo. 
Vincenzo did admit that he wanted financial compensation for the Mona Lisa, so he did have money in mind when he showed the painting to Gary and Giovanni Poggi, the director of the Uffizi, a famous art museum in Florence. Poggi had the painting authenticated, discovering that this was no hoax or forgery, but the masterpiece of da Vinci that had been stolen two years before. Poggi called the police, and Vincenzo was arrested the next day. According to PBS, Vincenzo's trial was a real spectacle. He claimed the theft had been for patriotic reasons, but he had obviously tried to profit from the theft, which weakened that claim. If it was for purely patriotic reasons, he could have just given it to the government or the Uffizi instead of asking for 500,000 lira. He claimed the painting had bewitched him, and he had to rescue her from France. During the trial, he contradicted himself, interrupted the court, argued with his lawyer and the prosecutors. He had angry, emotional outbursts, and the judge kept banging the gavel and telling him to be quiet. In the end, he was sentenced to one year in jail. Not a bad sentence for stealing a masterpiece and trying to sell it two years later. Public opinion was on his side, and he was hailed as an Italian patriot. People sent him bottles of wine, gifts, even love letters in prison. According to PBS, the defense called a psychiatrist who testified that Vincenzo was, quote, intellectually deficient, and the Italian tribunal reduced his sentence to seven months. Since he'd already served eight, by then he was released. He went on to serve in the Italian army during World War I, he married and had his daughter Celestina. She passed away in 2011 at the age of 87. Eventually, Vincenzo left Italy, returning to France, and that is where he died in 1925 at the age of 44. The Mona Lisa, now an international sensation, was toured around Italy in different museums before being returned to the Louvre, where she gets around 10 million visitors a year. She now sits behind climate-controlled, bulletproof glass. You can visit her today, and you should, if you ever get the chance. There are some things that don't translate well into photographs, things that you just have to experience for yourself to truly feel how wondrous they are. The smile of the Mona Lisa is one of those things. It's not easy getting a close look. She is constantly crowded with more shoving patrons than a mosh pit at an Aussie concert. But if you can, get close enough to share a moment with the 500-year-old woman of mystery. But be careful, she just may bewitch you, too. That does it for this episode on the theft of the Mona Lisa. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back again soon with more history for you. I'm working hard on my presentation for the Intelligent Speech Conference, so I might be a little late in posting the next episode, or I might just do a shorter one so I can still give you at least something on time. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can join the ranks of the best patrons in all of existence at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation if you'd prefer that. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Sound effects and background music were licensed through Envato Elements, theme songs from Audio Jungle. 
Stay safe, stay healthy, stay excellent. And until we meet again, go make some history.